Welcome to this Monsters Flesh podcast miniseries, Monsters Flesh Summer Camp. Bring your marshmallows and your sleeping bag as we huddle around the campfire to discuss some of the sweatiest and most bloodthirsty summer horrors. Hi, I'm Clelia, one of your camp counsellors. Hi, I'm Meg, one of the other camp counsellors. In this miniseries, we are diving into a summer of screams. In the second episode, we found ourselves in Camp Arawak with Slipaway Camp. Ooh. <laughs> oh, this is quite a, quite the one to uh, to discuss. This, this should be a really exciting one. So I don't even know where to start, but would you like to give us a little synopsis to get us in the to get I, us in the zone? I will. So Angela Barker, a shy and introverted adolescent girl, is sent to camp with a cousin. Bullying, pranks and teenage cruelty abound as Angela tries to survive the summer. But soon those who've wronged Angela start to get their brutal, bloody comeuppance as a killer starts to stalk the bunks and shower blocks of sleepaway camp. <laughs> <laughs> this is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Had you seen the film before or did you watch it for the podcast? No, I watched it for the podcast. Um, and so I think obviously we'll get to, as we work through, but there were certain points where I were like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> did, you know, you, did you know anything about no. it or not at all? No. Wow. <laughs> so it was like pure first time watch, did not know anything, no spoilers or anything. <laughs> <laughs> amazing that's amazing to be able to watch her i just love with like with them with cult films like this if you're able to watch it without any you know any prior expectations of it if you don't know the twist mm. i think it's so exciting i feel yeah. like unfortunately when i watched it i already knew how uh, how he ended so it was but i mean it didn't take anything away from the experience because i think it's just such um nothing prepares you for it i no. think even if you know even if you think you know <laughs> yeah. there's no way you're prepared for this yeah. <laughs> and i feel like right we will say because we didn't say last time that there are spoilers in this episode although these films have been out for like you know 30 years <laughs> So. Yeah, exactly. And I would say, yeah. I mean, we always say if you haven't seen the film, then you know, please, you know, feel, we're going to say it right now. If you yeah. haven't seen Sleepaway Camp, really is the is the you know is the kind of film that you, you know you will enjoy listening to this episode a lot more if you've actually seen the yes. film before. So and you can watch it on YouTube, can't you? Yeah, it's on you YouTube. Watch, yeah, no excuses, people. <laughs> exactly. YouTube has been saving uh, saving this season uh, a lot more than we expected, right? Because like some of the films that we're going to cover, yeah. we've actually found that they're quite difficult to source. Yeah. So. Yeah. Thank you, YouTube. YouTube saving the day once again. Day once again. <laughs> oh, God. Right. Well, shall we get into it then? Let's get into it. I mean, there is a, there is a lot to discuss, and um, and I'm really yeah, so I'm really interested in your um, in your take on it as well because I think. It's very easy to um, to look at it both ways. I think there's a lot of controversies or controversy mm. around the film um, and how you can read it. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's so much that is so wrong with this film. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah let, let's uh, let, let's get into it and let's get uh, yes. let, let's get started with um, w- with a few production details on this. Um, so it is uh, the first film of, uh, and as far as I know, kind of the only film really of <laughs> of writer 
future director Robert Hil um, Hilzik, um, who in 1983 was a New York University film school graduate um, and decided in his second year that the best way for him to get into the movie business was to write, produce and direct his own feature film. Um, and obviously, as we know, horror is, um, you know, a genre that is um, uh, extremely, or not extremely easy. I mean, I don't think, I actually think it's quite difficult to make a good horror mm -hmm. film, but um, you'll be seeing in terms of budget, it's it's easier to 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 make a, to make a horror film. And certainly at that time, it certainly was. Um, so that movie, uh, obviously, is Sleepaway Camp, um, and was an unassuming yet very distinctive slasher tale set at Camp Harawak, um, where a familiar genre scenario of revenge plays out as the campers are murdered one by one in a series of gruesome accidents <laughs> and i can't wait to deep dive into the into the accidents uh, a little bit later <laughs> um for i don't know if you've come across the, the, the so the film sorry I'm, I'm getting i'm getting a little bit muddled muddled up but um the actually the film was uh as i said it was kind of a cult film it is a cult film but for a number of years it was you know, a, a film that was quite difficult to get your hands on. Mm. Uh, but thankfully, in 2014, it was released in Blu-ray. Um, and it also features a, a making-of documentary, oh. um, aptly, um, aptly titled Meet Me at the Waterfront After the Social. <laughs> <laughs> and if you've seen the film, you know what I'm referring to. Uh, <laughs> and it features interviews with the writer-director, as well as cast member Felisa Rose, who plays Angela, uh, her mother, um, Jonathan Tierson, who plays Ricky, Karen Fields, who plays the Nasty Judy Ooh. in the film, <laughs> Desiree Gold, who is Aunt Martha, <laughs> the crazy Aunt Martha, um, and the special effects artist um, in the film, who um, who we owe a lot of the um, uh, the gruesome uh, accidents and death in that mm. film. So if you haven't seen it, it's definitely definitely worth um, definitely worth looking at it. But one, one thing I would say is that if you if you would watch the documentary before watching the film, you'd be forgiven into thinking that the film is a lot. <laughs> a lot more serious or a lot more a lot more successful than he actually yeah. is when i watched the documentary i was actually quite surprised like how they were talking about it and i was like are they talking about the same film that i watched because <laughs> seriously <laughs> it's that thing yeah. of like hindsight being like yeah uh, you know, this we set out to make a really serious exactly. <laughs> and I think if a film is uh, is considered cult, like thirty years later, then people tend to, you know, they they can go back and reevaluate and be mm. like, oh yeah, we did something that was, you know, really important and really great. When you're like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think a lot of the um, a lot of the success of the film is quite um, incidental or accidental, right? So, uh, but yeah, what did you what did you think of the film i mean i've been i've been watching it for the first uh, time not so long ago well I think from the outset, I liked the very 80s intro and I also liked the build-up of mm. the ominous activities told in sort of a spooky voice of a, of a like a broken down <laughs> summer camp. <laughs> um, but, you know, like the opening scene, so, you know, when, when we see the horrific boating accident, like it were really horrible because you're mm -hmm. like, no, yeah. stupid, don't let this idiot drive yeah. a, a speedboat. She doesn't know what she's doing. Definitely. It feels to me that she would have had a lot of time to turn around. But Yeah, you know, that, 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 that is the is... true murderer of this film. The first serial killer we mm -hmm. encounter is that girl in that speedboat because there was yeah. no way she did not have time to swerve. She just went, let's just see. Let's see what happens. <laughs> um, 
But I also liked, as everyone will know now from my criticism of Friday the 13th, that it, it did open with eight years later, not the present. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> not the present day. Yeah. Give me a proper time frame, please. <laughs> I did like that. But that woman who plays that auntie, she's chewing the scenery. My God, I, I didn't know what I was watching. I thought, what is this woman doing? Hysteric. She's like hysterical from start to finish. <laughs> I know it's so bizarre. And actually, that so this is what made, made me um, made me smile in watching the documentary because the actress is interviewed and um, and she says that mm. it's completely. You know, when she read the script, when she read those lines, she was like, "It's so bizarre." But that the director insisted that this, this is how she played it. Yeah. Um, so and she really wanted to you know walk away from the from the film because she was like, "This is just." <laughs> never gonna work it's and yet it just state. kind of makes the film though yeah. <laughs> but it's so, she's unforgettable it is unforgettable absolutely and but i just think it's such a difference in tone from everybody else around her like right. everybody else is just really normal just sort of you know going along quite and i did read that about it actually that that's been part of like the analysis of it is that it's quite naturalistic all the rest of the time but then you've just got her yeah. who's just like yeah. It, it just mad. It's just insane. I've never seen other acting like that in my life <laughs> ever. It was, it, but memorable. Yeah, I suppose. I know. That won't do at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's just gonna, I just love the fact that she's having a dialogue with herself the whole time. It's really um, yeah. yeah, very interesting. And I think the other you know stark contrast is when we first get to summer camp and you see the difference in them two men's shorts. So you've got the camp owner in his shorts to his knees and his socks pulled up. And then that other guy who I think is like head. Oh, my God. That guy. And he's got like op- literally op pants on, the like underpants. <laughs> and to see him stood next to each other is so strange. Yeah. I mean, we did promise short shorts. I mean, obviously, you think some yes. camp, you think short shorts, but these are micro shorts, literally. Honestly, <laughs> they are the shortest shorts I have ever seen. I swear there's points in that when his bum cheeks are out. It, they are, that's inappropriate <laughs> uh, as children's camp to have your bum cheeks hanging out. I'll, I'll give the film this much, though. There's an incredible amount of male nudity in the film, yes. but there is no amount of female nudity. Yeah. So if anything... I'm just, you know, yeah. got to, you know, give some recognition to Sleepaway Camp for this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know what you mean because now I think, like, even you said that about, you know, male nudity and stuff, that maybe it were intentional because I were really shocked at, like, when they first are all running down that hill and that creepy pervert works in kitchens there and he's, like, no, it's so calling shocking. them chickens and, like, talking about about not having pubes. And, uh, it's, it's horrible. And I were really shocked by it because I thought, <laughs> even for 80s. I know, <laughs> exactly. Bad. You kind of, like, it's, really it's not like, um, yeah, it's not like being a little inappropriate. It's completely, I mean, it's like, it's full, full on pedophilia, basically. <laughs> it's full on disgusting criminal yeah, language. Absolutely, yeah, Because <laughs> like, what did you say? There's no such thing as, there's no such thing as too young or something like this. And it's just, oh, ooh. yeah, yeah. And you think, oh, who is this guy? And then, but then thinking about it now, thinking about like, you know, the fact that then women Mm -hmm. aren't exploited in the same way as they are in a lot of other slashes, that perhaps that were a conscious point. And I do think that, you know, as as I was sort of watching it, and I did comment on that actually and said, well, it's it's realistic Mm -hmm. because where do perverts work? I mean, they work, they they do things like that, don't they? So it's quite a realistic interpretation, which I think if you look at it that way, it does give it like a sort of, 
a gritty sense of realism that maybe is missed if you first just watch it as just a Absolutely. camp sort of slasher, you know, 80s, you know, sort of thing. And I mean, you know, apart from, I will say this, I know that, you know, women weren't necessarily very sexualized in it, but the fact that Judy's only plot point is that she's really awful and she's got tits. I know. I found a bit weird. <laughs> and me, and... And meets the most terrible, I mean, like, her death is, like, literally the most shocking thing. Like, it's just, I just couldn't believe it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I I do think that, you know, she's, I mean, obviously she's set up as, like, the antagonist, Mm -hmm. isn't she? She's, like, the main bully, her and Meg. Oh, I take personal (laughs) offence to that Meg was so awful. (laughs) What makes me love is that when Meg introduces herself, she says, and Meg, M-E-G, which I was like, how else are you supposed to write it? Like, How else are you going to spell it? I don't think it's too no, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, but like, the thing with Judy, so she's set up as, so her main plot points are she's antagonist and she's awful. She's got. She's tits. obviously she's 29. She's about 29. <laughs> exactly. Girl was playing like, maybe that's why. Like, she's, <laughs> she doesn't want to be know, at camp, like, that's like. <laughs> no, she doesn't want to be at camp. She's like, I'm 29, I'm here to cause problems. <laughs> like, that's what she's there to do. But I also did like that later on in film, like she were kissing that guy who were way too old to be kissing oh, apparently thirteen year old Judy. But then she were like, what? You're kissing shit. And I thought, good for you. You would have gone far if obviously what then happened didn't happen. Like, why'd you for kiss you so for being wet? like, you know what? <laughs> yeah, why'd you kiss? So she does wet? have the best one liners, though I have to admit. Like, I love her beachy energy. Like I'm kinda I am I am a little bit team yeah. Judy. I just think I just saw as Buddhist go, like she's just fucking hilarious. So <laughs> and also when I was watching it with with my partner, he went <laughs> which is not like him at all to notice, he went, fucking hell, her hair's dry. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, then she was drying her hair. I went, that's the real danger here. Her hair's gonna combust. Like it's very 80s, it's very, very like moose. <laughs> big moose tear and then you know so it is like a time capsule mm-hmm. this film both with the micro shots the big dry sort of you know of a processed hair very yeah but i mean i d- yeah so i do think at one hand it is good it's not like doing a lot of um sort of sexualizing women apart from it being very clearly by the bad guy but then also like judy's got tits so everybody <laughs> likes her which i suppose is quite a realistic yeah, experience a judy. for teenagers <laughs> <laughs> oh judy judy's blossomed since last summer it's like all this I know. stuff about her. it does have a i mean i do feel like it does have a sense of reality as in kind of like you know children pre-teenagers are quite crass and so yeah. um, but uh, interestingly enough actually so the film was was the, um, it was filmed at the, the summer camp where the director used to go when he was a child. So he said he knew it like the back of his hand and, mm. you know, put ah. a lot of his own experience at camp in this film, which makes it, which is oh, so God. disturbing, God. right? I was like, I hope, I hope that it doesn't mean that the cook is based on, you know. What a pervert. Exactly. But that's not a massive yeah. stretch of the mind. I mean, like, you know, to, to, to imagine that. Right. No. So. <laughs> well, no, I mean, and that's that's what people like that do, isn't it? Like they exactly. try and get jobs at summer camps, I guess. But yeah, I mean, yeah. he is awful. 
he, I thought if it's like this all the way through, nah. I can't watch it. Like he was so horrible. And then when he got her in that cupboard in like pantry bit, and he was just like unfastening his trousers. And I thought, what am I watching? What am I going to have to watch for this podcast? <laughs> stop! Stop! <laughs> Thankfully, ah. he meets a um, you know a, a, a nasty ending pretty soon after in the most bizarre yeah. <laughs> accident killing sequence of the yes. film, right? <laughs> First of all, can we talk about yes. that comically yes. big uh, pot that he's using? Why is that pan so big? Why is big? that pan so big? <laughs> so so what big? are they making? I don't get it. Why is it so big? If a pan is so big that you have to get on a ladder to You're use using it, the it's too pan. big. That's my rule of thumb. If I have to use a ladder, <laughs> it's too big. And why not just use like yeah. more pans? Exactly. Like yeah, absolutely. And I, was, and I was trying to think, <laughs> whatever you're cooking, one. the you know the whatever is at the bottom of the pan is gonna be burnt as <laughs> shit, and whatever's at the top is gonna be raw. So just something is not working anyway. That, don't, I'm thinking about this in the wrong way. How do you drain <laughs> it? How would you drain exactly. that pan? That pan must hold like oh god, what? <laughs> 20 litres of water? How would you it's drain a massive, that? It's a, it's a bin, yeah, basically, it's, that he's using. It's a it's bin. It's just a bin. It's just a big bin. And also, I'm so impatient. Like, my worst thing yeah. is waiting for water to boil. <laughs> I cannot stand it. So I would never be able to use that pan because I'd have knocked it off cooker before then. And, you know... But yeah, so I mean, I did me note for that when he were being really gross, but like this creep mm-hmm. is the fucking worst. Which, but also, where's Mrs. Varys yeah. when you need her? So I was quite glad that he got back to a crisp because I was like, exactly, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. God, from cook to cook, she could have had like a good talk with him <laughs> and a, and a, you know and a good old murder. Yeah, but yeah, you know, like, but yeah, I did think that it when he were like when that paramedic was like every nerve in his body's on fire mm, and I'm there like God, yeah. God, I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad, but effects again i mean it really good effects brilliant i think they really hold up yeah yeah, yeah. i think even, even i mean all the death in this in this film i think the the special effects are just i i think it's just so fantastic it still looks so good to this day yeah this but that's the thing isn't it like they, they just so it don't age it in that mm. way i mean i think some of it <laughs> has aged like milk but the effects have aged like wine so <laughs> And also that guy, that like crooked camp boss who's like covering up health and safety failures. Like, you know, that's yeah. realistic as well. That's capitalism, baby. He's like, don't tell campers that this guy fell in no, a big pot I of water know. and got burnt to death. You know, don't tell them. Like, it'll be fine. No, no, no. we're not eating that corn. No I mean, everybody, like, I feel like all the adults are, and that's a point made by slashers quite often, right? That they're completely incompetent. Um, I mean, the police in this film just makes me just <laughs> makes me die. Uh, you know, the you know the guy is there to invest, investigate. I mean, there are so many crimes happening in throughout the summer and yet at no point do they say do you think (laughs) we should you know send the kids home at no point are the parents contacted to say your child has death you know died a terrible death (laughs) no (laughs) no one knows he's just desperately trying to keep it covered up like oh can't go under if not and i think as soon as these parents find out the kids like are dead, that's what's anyway, like, don't you <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I do think it's it's got that all, like, the very... Um, so aside from a crooked counsellor mm-hmm. and perversant kitchen and, you know, uh, inappropriate camp counsellors like Meg, <laughs> who's just the worst, you know. She's a piece of work, that's what she is. <laughs> She's a piece of work. But then it's when they're doing all... Um, 
pranks on each other. Like when he when they said to that guy, you can't sit up, and then he sits up and he like smacks his nose up somebody's bum hole, and you're like, oh god, this is why I don't want to go to camp. I'd kill somebody if they did that to me. I'd be murderer. If someone I did know. That to I mean. Me. The kids what are, are you doing? Uh, I, I mean, I think it, it is. Again, we were saying last week about um, Friday the Thirteenth and how you know, obviously, there's no kids in 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 the film, and you know, it's a shame to not have that. And I think this film really brings the you know the, the experience of summer <laughs> yeah. camp like so brutally. It's quite brutally honest, I think, about it. You know, kids being kids having the worst time, literally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then I suppose to counteract that, like I like Ricky. Mm-hmm. I think Ricky is a very good character, and I think he had a really good point. Like when, because when he was talking to Judy and she was like, "Girls mature faster than boys," and he was like, "That's bullshit." And I thought, "Yeah, good for you, I Ricky." Know. But then he did call I mean, her a bitch. Ricky has so, like as a, as an anger issue problem. Like to me, I just feel like he goes from zero to a hundred. Like, oh my god! <laughs> oh, yeah. And then and then that hat. I mean. <laughs> He turns up for the social wearing that hat. I was like, oh, yeah. Ricky the lady killer. <laughs> on his head like what? Is- oh, Ricky's coming, ladies. <laughs> but no, but Get Jim- ready, Ricky's here. But you know, but I also, I just, I, I really like that like every turn mm-hmm. with Angela is like, don't you bully my cousin. Don't, yeah. And I was like, good for you, Ricky. You're yeah. loyal. We like that. <laughs> we're really good, but... I mean, art restroom, I don't know. I just kept watching it when they were all playing baseball and I just thought, what is the age range at this camp? There's like 30-year-old men in belly shirts and hot pants playing with like eight-year-olds. Who's a camp counsellor? Who's there for the summer? Who's who's in juvie? (laughs) Like, it's just not making much sense. (laughs) Did the prison bus stop on the way to the, you know, at the camp as well? I mean, it's like, you know, they deserve a little bit of, uh, you know, green time as well. I don't know. I'm not sure. It makes very little sense. Um, I mean, you just talked about the baseball scene. um, Yeah. Which, you know, and I know we've, We've discussed this already, but it comes with the, you know, the best line, the best line in the film. <laughs> this guy blows dead dogs. And then, eat you know, shit and eat, live. Shit and die. eat shit and eat live, shit Bill. And live, Bill. Ricky, eat shit and live. That is my new motto. Next time somebody annoys me, I'm going to say eat shit and live. That's what I'm going to say. Or I might say this guy blows dead dogs, which as well, what a thing to say. <laughs> And calling what people you fucks as well. I just, I just think. I mean, I love like Ricky's, Ricky's anger energy yeah, is just it's something else. Like I think it's, a, it's, a, it's a different level. He's a very angry teenage boy, but you know, yeah. it, the way there might be ex- reasons why. No? Well, yeah, and I, you know, yeah. I think we probably know when we get to end it film that there probably are reasons for why Ricky is as angry as he is, but exactly. I, I mean, first of all, he was raised by Aunt Martha. So I think you'd, yeah. you'd, God, you'd, you'd be unhinged, be wouldn't you? Wouldn't you you'd exactly. be insane if that were your mother <laughs> flouncing about house like that, <laughs> screaming, <laughs> screaming constantly. Exactly. You would get insane. Oh, would you? No, oh, that would you be insane? All, that wouldn't work. No, that wouldn't do at all. No. Oh my God. But I just thought that like the language in this film were incredible. Everybody calling each other just motherfuckers, <laughs> cocksuckers, <Yeah>. you fucks. 
It's just the language from these teenagers. Yo, Angela, why are you so fucked up? That yeah. was one of my favorites. I just love like that poor girl is there eating a snack, like literally bothering no know. one. And those two, two guys come out, you know, to be like, let's go talk to her. Yo, Angela, why are you so fucked up? It's like, <laughs> okay. just also, like, she's not talking. Leave her be. What's she doing? She's not hurting anybody. Oh I would be Angela. I'm like, I don't want to talk to you, docs. Like, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to be here at this summer camp. We're like 30 year old mm. Judy sharing a bunk with me. This is weird. <laughs> Angela's exactly. got the right. Angela's just like, don't want to talk to none of you. You're not cool. Yeah. And respect it. But no, everyone's hysterical. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you get that vibe <laughs> sort of a lot throughout it, really. Like, they're all like, oh, they're all pranking each other all the time. Ugh, isn't it boring? Mm-hmm. Teenage boys <laughs> just like. You know, stripping off and all them girls just arms folded, just watching these pasty asses running down this door. And I'm just not impressed <laughs> in any way. Just like, you are losers. And I did think to myself, like, what is the point? So you're tormenting them and you're like, you know, popping up out of water, tipping one at water. What's a joke? Because, mm-hmm. the, you know, they're not going to sleep with you now. <laughs> they just think you're losers. Who's, who's the loser? I don't know. Who's the loser, exactly? Teenage boys are a mystery. Let's talk about the um, the uh, the relationship between Angela and Ricky. I mean, we've touched mm. up on that, uh, t- touched up on that a little bit, and the fact that he's very protective over her. Mm. Uh, there's many theories, that, you know, obviously around it. Um, I mean, we're gonna have to spoil the end, the, yeah. the ending of the film quite soon, obviously, as we think <laughs> on that. But I thought what was really beautifully portrayed, actually, I think Angela is a very interesting character, oh, yeah. and I think the way that uh, Felisa Rose plays her is also very very authentic from mm. um yeah from you know from a point of view of uh, you know of being you know somebody who's very repressed somebody who's you know who's obviously you know been you know living up to that point uh, you know a life of you know being confined to and 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 shoved into um something you know into a role that they you know that that we don't know if they had any saying into you know into belonging to so from that point of view i think it's really interesting i was wondering what you what you made of it I think that, yeah, I think Angela and Ricky's relationship is really lovely and it's really nice to see a non-sexual relationship between, you know, a, a man, well, a, a boy and a girl, a man and a woman, I don't know, they're at that mm-hmm. sort of adolescent age, aren't they? That is supportive and, and, you know, loving and kind. Like, he's very kind yeah. to her. And he's very, yeah. you know, and she, and he obviously knows that she's been through a lot and it makes you wonder, as you say, how much he knows about everything else, mm-hmm. but he's very... He sticks up for her and he defends her and he's sort of always got his eye on her to make sure she's all right. And it's really nice to see that in a relationship that is, I suppose it's a sibling relationship really at that point. I mean, they've grown up together, haven't they? And it's very lovingly portrayed, I think. And I also agree, I think Angela as a character is so interesting. And so, I mean, you know, they and the the actor who's, who's playing her is so soulful like because she don't speak for a lot of film it's just her eyes she's just like watching mm-hmm. people but she's she's engaging like you want to see oh what she, you know so i mean we may as well just spell it ending don't we do you want to do it or yeah, I yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean go for it go for it for, for me i was really shocked like i thought angela were the killer for most yeah i thought it was going to be angela 
you know, but I did not expect that ending. So I think that were mm-hmm. very, um, very well done. And I think I can imagine seeing that for the first time when film came out at that sort of time, that that were a really shocking ending. Absolutely, yeah. You know, so obviously we find her at end with that horrible knobhead, what's his name? Creepy teen boy who's trying it on with her all the time. <laughs> whatever his name oh, um, is. We don't, yeah, yeah, whatever his name is. I can't Him. remember now. Yeah. That one, little <laughs> creeper. Um, <laughs> decapitated, uh, you know, and she's mm-hmm. covered in blood and then stands up and turns around. And I mean, to see like full frontal nudity, I thought mm-hmm. I was like, oh, and I suppose how else could they have got that point across without it? But... I, I did not like it. Were really shocking to see that Angela. That obviously it weren't Angela that had died. It, um, sorry, it it were Peter that had survived, not Angela. That's so right. Angela were killed at the beginning, but then Mad Aunt Martha, who was meant to be a doctor. What sort of doctor is this woman? Yeah, what sort of doctor exactly? That this is yeah, what yeah. she calls herself, doctor. You know what? That this is what she's done. <laughs> so Peter has been forced to live as Angela, and obviously then I think. I know there's a lot of criticism of it and I were reading some of it today because I really wanted to understand the criticism of it because I understand it. But mm-hmm. I also, from me watching it, felt that there were a very... It were very ambivalent for me. It felt like it were never yeah. really... It was sort of saying on one hand that if you force someone to live a truth that's not theirs, that that can have negative consequences and potentially violent consequences. But I can also see how that could be interpreted as that narrative about, you know, anyone who exists outside of this cis heteronormative, you know, uh, context Mm -hmm. is dangerous. I can understand both sides of that argument. And what are your thoughts on that? It's a difficult one. Yeah, well, very much. Yeah, it's a very difficult one. And I think when I first saw the film and because I knew the ending already, I think I went in it with um, probably the former attitude that you were describing as in. um, No, I mean, sorry, the uh, more the attitude of like, you know, how can they, you know, how can they have that ending and and it being a poignant statement about, you know, about transgender, basically. Mm. Um, But actually upon, you know, rewatching the film and, you know, reading a bit more about it and actually contextualizing the film. And, you know, when we talked about the fact that, you know, there is only, you know, um, male nudity and it's very about you know and there's, there's that you know the the gay relationship of be, you know between the mm. dad and his lover at the, at the start and mm. you know there is that scene where the two children are you know playing gen, you know um, swapping gender roles you know there's there, mm. there, there's this uh, this flash this flashback where you see this and I think the film is really it's difficult you can't say oh it's got a positive message I don't think it's about this but I think it is about demonstrating that you know one way or another um that you know if people are you know forced into the wrong body the you know the wrong identity then this can only have you know negative consequences on them and on the world around them Mm. so I mean that's definitely a reading that I think is way more powerful of the film Mm. rather than thinking oh you know it portrays you know trans people in a in a you know, in a really bad, in a really bad light. Mm. Actually, I was thinking about. Um, um, I, I rewatched the Insidious films this uh, this month, and the second the second installment of the um, um, of the film series is 
I'm pretty certain might have been um, uh, influenced by Sleepaway Camp, and it goes into the backstory of one of the minor character, one of a minor character from the first film, but the Bride in Black, who's a you know who we find out um, his mom forced him to dress as a girl, mm-hmm. and you know, and then he became a killer, and and I was like, this is you know, so they took the premise of Sleepaway Camp, and just just you know, really went with the surface level story. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and then turn it into something monstrous, you know, kind of equating, you know, trans mm. as, you know, monstrous, which is so, you know, which is so wrong and mm. so easy to do. And so, you know, it's it's so boring. It's such a boring trial, yeah. basically. Yeah. Frankly, where Sleepaway Camp, I think, can be read in loads, you know, in loads of different ways. And I think there is so much queerness in, you know, mm. in Sleepaway Camp that I have a really hard time to believe that this was done maliciously from, mm. you know, from the people who made it. Yeah, and I think as well, it's you know, it it's like Buffalo Bill is a terrible representation, and so I I think there are a lot of really harmful and really negative stereotypes and representations in film that really, and like you said, that are very one dimensional, that are very surface. That but I think with mm-hmm. Angela as well, I suppose it comes down to that fact as well that when Angela is left alone, nothing happens. You know, Angela's yeah, not exactly. setting out to hurt anybody. But she yes, don't, exactly. And and then you you hear you know she don't shower with everybody else. And at first you think, oh, is it because she's still traumatized because uh, uh, being in mm-hmm. water? What happened? You know, when she were a child. So there's a lot of stuff going on for Angela that she's obviously a very traumatized person because she's had a lot of really really horrible things happen to her in a short. I mean, she's only a teenager. But mm-hmm. I think there's something to be said for the fact that the people that you know, so like this guy, the guy who she kills at the end. It's because he's being very, very sexually aggressive towards her. Exactly. And she's, and yeah, she's kept exactly. saying, I don't want, no, I don't want you to take my shirt off. I don't want you exactly. to, to, you know, do this, but he'll not Put yourself stop. on me. And so... Mm-hmm. Exactly. To, and so I think, again, there's, there's also another layer to that about, I don't think it matters that Angela... I mean, it matters because it's a horrible thought, the idea that someone would be forced to live like that, that, that you know, that child sure. abuse would be going on is awful. But I think... The idea that Angela is trans, I mean, there's people who say that Angela's not trans because it's forced. It's like, no, she's, it's yeah, not even that yeah. Angela's a trans it's character. It's a different thing. But it's not even about that for me. It's about the fact that so I think a lot of what this film is about is about the ways that young people are forced to be sexual and forced into sexuality. Yeah, sexualized. And that when you're dealing with so much trauma and everything around you and you've got this secret that the mm-hmm. people can't know about you because you've been sort of forced by your mad auntie to to present yeah. as as Angela when really you you were born as Peter that mm-hmm. that there is a, a response to that which is violence and we talk a lot about women's violence yeah. on this podcast and reactive violence to you know systemic as well as individual instances of people being really badly treated and I just think you know everybody who got it in sleepaway camp got what they had coming to them there I've said it. <laughs> Absolutely. I, no, I think it's really, uh, it's really great what you were saying, and you know, make me think that you know, on the on the question of you know, is Angela a trans character? I think it's you know, it, I think Angela is it's more a gender fluid character, right? Yeah. Because she, as you said, when she's left alone, there's no, I you know, you don't see a you know, there, there's no. Um, um, rejection of her to be a little girl or a little mm. boy. It's, it's more about, you know, that um, 
uh, you know, sexualized violence yeah. you know, that is being, you know, that she's surrounded with and that, you know, that then forces her to, you know, to to act, to act upon it. And mm-hmm. as you said, you know, every character gets their upper comments um, yeah. know, one way or another. Yeah, I mean, I will so. say, I don't necessarily think that Judy needed to go out like that with a curling iron. I felt like oh. that, that were a bit much. That were very upsetting. But when that guy got attacked by bees, I did say, I hope that she gets, she attacks him with bees. So I got my wish. I thought, please put a, a bees, put you know, put an eye through this window, and then they did, and he was stung to death. You know, so I, th- I think, I think we are maybe giving it a very sympathetic reading, <laughs> trying to see yeah, a depth, absolutely a depth to it that maybe weren't necessarily there at the time of making it. But that's the point, isn't it? That film criticism mm-hmm. and you know, you you look at it through your own lens. And I think if people I understand both sides. I understand people embracing it and saying, you know, this is um this is a, a story of what happens when you you sort of force to live a truth that's not yours. And I understand people who are saying mm-hmm. it's a no, it's mm-hmm. just another armful portrayal of difference yeah. being dangerous. And I think I get that because, and I, but I think as an ending, just from a purely like shock factor ending, I mean, I couldn't stop thinking about it with a hissing. I was like, oh, it really freaked me out. Like I just thought, God, like it's not, I think somehow that were worse than if, you know, she'd swung around screaming with machete in her hand. It was just, <laughs> it was so disturbing. I thought a really disturbing it ending. Was. Um, just covered in that blood. Cast, and... that, that cast of her face yeah. is just so, you know, so evocative. It's amazing. One really, um, you know, one thing that I read about it that made me, um, it made me chuckle a little bit is that so, um, Felisa Rose's mom was, you know, very present on set and she said that she, she didn't want, um, she didn't want, uh, Angela, um, or Felisa, sorry, to be involved in any of the killing scenes, mm. right? She, she didn't want her hands to be used. And, um, I don't know if you noticed. The, well, you must, you know, obviously you, you will have noticed that in the scene where Angela, um, where Judy, sorry, gets murdered, you know, when you see the killer in the um, I was in, just going to say about that, door. it's Ricky, isn't it? It's Ricky. Yeah. <laughs> it's Ricky wearing a wig. Oh. <laughs> and so actually Ricky was was the one, you know, they, they used his hands yeah. for all the killing scenes because her mum didn't want, you know, that she didn't want her to be involved in those scenes. And yet, like, <laughs> was very happy, but, you know, <laughs> to, to let them use a cast of her face, you know, for the for the for the yeah, end scene, which actually I think is is um exactly, but in a way I kind of think sends a. I don't know. I think she just didn't want, you know, her little girl to be, you know, to be involved in, you know, in those scenes whilst they were shooting them. Yeah. But actually, it's not that she was against the message, you know, necessarily, you know, against the message of the film, mm. and you know. So I just find it a very interesting, interesting trivia. But yeah, that that um, that scene with 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 it's clearly Ricky in the door, Ricky yeah. wearing a wig. <laughs> yeah. Because I was like, oh, it's Ricky. Yeah. Then it is. And then I was like, no, it can't be. That don't make sense. No, it's not, yeah. But then also, we're nearly getting pummeled to death by that old man. I know, oh my God. What am I watching? So I think it's very, I think it is a very unflinching look at the ways that like young people Mm -hmm. are not immune from violence, like that either perpetuating violence or being victims of violence. So in that way, it is, I mean, it is a very realistic portrayal, particularly in 80s, you know, coming off like Stranger Danger and all all that stuff. It's quite unflinching. And in adolescence is how it's awful. And, you know, when you're meant to be in like groups of we adolescent you were your peers and they're awful you know it's it's very um <laughs> authentic i think in that respect yeah but, 
the only um the 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 only thing in the film that really you know that that really bothers me and i think you know they you know you can you can tell that it's a film where basically everything they shot they used in the film but the the scene with the little kids who you know who get you know you know get murdered i you know i feel like i mean the director said that you know it's something that you regret using in the film because it kind of makes no sense that's the only killing really in the film that is you know unmotivated mm. by you know, by anything really. So that's absolutely makes zero sense that that would be in it. And that's where, you know, that theory of, oh, is Ricky, uh, are Ricky and Angela working together? Are they, you know, are they both the the murderer that, you know, that then that that comes into play? But it's, yeah, I thought it was a very strange choice to, it's almost like they were like, oh, we don't have enough killings in the film. Like, you know, we were talking about in Friday the 13th, there aren't enough killings. And they were kind of like, okay, we need more, More we need more murders. (laughs) So um, sacrifice the kids. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I did read synopsis today and it, it said that they were the ones who'd kick sand on her when they dragged her out at water. But I thought, well, that seems uh, a bit, that seems a bit harsh. I mean, yeah. you know, that, I don't think <laughs> a bit that's, of a stretch, yeah. you know, yeah. that don't really fit <laughs> with this narrative. <laughs> um, but yeah, well, are we ready for Fort Larkana then? Now we've... Uh, absolutely dove deep so because obviously this doesn't necessarily lend itself to uh folklore i decided to focus on urban legends this week which fit in around the campfire oh fantastic so we know that urban legends are this like you know contemporary legend and they're generally we've all heard them we all love them stories of friends from friends or you know your family members have have uh, heard about this and they've usually got some form of mysterious peril are troubling events. Mm. So I focused on a specific one today that I'm sure everyone will be familiar with, um, which is the hook hand man. Da, da, da. Oh, the hook hand man. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this fits really well with the idea that urban legends uh, are often sort of warnings or cautionary tales and they're like designed to to sort of uh, regulate behaviour and make people conform to moral standards. Modern fairy tales, right? Yeah, mm. yeah. And they're, they're meant to sort of regulate people's behaviours and, you know, a lot of tales are sort of discouraging sex and, you know, all the fun yeah. stuff. So the basic premise of the story is, I'm sure everyone's familiar with it, but basically it's a couple, normally a man and a woman, it's very hetero this, very hetero example, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, who are sort of canoodling in a parked car. And then they hear a report on the radio. So this is very much not translated into modern context because who listens to radio anymore? Um, but, the, you know, that serial killer with a hook for a hand has escaped from a nearby uh-huh. facility. Um, and so as a result, they decide to leave very quickly. Um, and then the story usually ends with getting back to the woman's house. And when they get out of the car, there's either the hook hanging from the uh-huh. door handle or it's like embedded in the car. But there are some variations, some more grisly than others. So in some cases, and this is the one that I heard as a kid, they hear a scraping on the roof. And then the man gets out to investigate. Um, in some versions, he returns and his date's been brutally murdered. But in the version I heard as a child, um, is that they heard the scratching, he disappears. She is a uh-huh. thumping on roof. And that next thing, police arrive and they go, run, run to us. Don't look back. Whatever you do, don't look back. And when she looks back, the hook-handed man is banging a date's head, a severed head. Yes, that's what I had as well. Yeah. I love Um, it. 
so there's that one and then there's also um you know the ones where um the woman gets out and she sees the man's butchered body hanging from a tree or is either hanging upside down and it's his fingernails or it's his toes which anyone who's seen one of my favorite oh, films yeah. urban legend we know that's what we see is there on the tree yes um <laughs> And then a sort of final version is that the the couple's car breaks down, the man leaves to get help. Uh, she falls asleep and when she wakes up, there's some horrible man looking through a window at her and she's like, oh no, this is terrible. But it's all right, the doors are locked. And then the man raises his hands and in one hand is the date's severed head and in the other hand is the car keys. <laughs> <laughs> this is so great. I think that it's it's something I'm sure everyone's heard some version of. Um, but it's it's interesting because the first known publication of this legend, actually, so what folklorists do quite a lot, and it's something that I'm interested in as well, is that they sort of track the timeline of urban legends. When can we find first recorded example mm-hmm. and things like that? So we know that it started in the 1950s and origins are unknown, but it has been suggested that it's linked um, to or partially inspired, I should say, by the Texarkana Moonlight Murders, which occurred in 1946. Um, so if anyone's not familiar with those, it's a series of sort of uh, four instances of unsolved murders, I should say, um, that took place over a 10-week period that left eight people injured, five people died out of these eight. So it were couples parking in quiet lovers' lanes again, or was a male and female pair is how it's termed in the mm-hmm. folkloric literature. So a man and a woman parked on quiet lovers' lanes um, on weekend nights and they were targeted and they, and they were attempted murders and also murders. So eight, uh, five mm. people died. So these were unsolved and still unsolved to this day. It caused a massive, you know, a mass hysteria at the time in Texarkana. Um, and so we started to see the rise of this hook hand uh, urban legend sort of a few years later around the 1950s but the first known publication of the legend occurred in november 1960 with a letter printed in the dear abbey advice column would you like to hear the letter clearlier yes please <laughs> <laughs> so dear abbey if you're interested in teenagers you will print this story i don't know whether it's true or not but it doesn't matter because it served its purpose for me a fellow on his date pulled into their favorite lover's lane to listen to the radio and do a little necking the music was interrupted by an announcer who said that there was an escaped convict in the area who had served time for rape and robbery it was described as having a hook instead of a right hand the couple became frightened and drove away. When the boy took his girl home, he went around to open the car door for her. Then he saw a hook on the door handle. I will never park to make out as long as I live. I hope this does the same for other kids. From Jeanette. <gasps> Thank you, Jeanette. <laughs> for sending Thank you, Jeanette. Story. Oh, my God. Yeah, so that was the first sort of public record of it, but it had been circulating um, before then. Um, and there's also a similar story, which is a bit more lighthearted to sort of take away from, you know, the unsolved serial killings and hook hands, uh-huh. is um, in Portland, there's a phenomenon known as the bandage man who haunts a decommissioned stretch of road near Cannon Beach. And he's a phantom completely wrapped in bloody bandages. Um, and he's, he's <laughs> this bloody figure who stinks of rotting <laughs> flesh, apparently jumps into vehicles passing by on the road outside of town and has been known to target couples on lovers' lanes. And one legend has it that he's the ghost of a dead logger who got cut to pieces in a sawmill accident. Oh. Uh, and that whilst he was being taken to hospital, the ambulance he was travelling in had an accident and the driver died and bandage man escaped and ran off into the woods. 
So did so, you say did you say it was lighthearted? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I mean Marvin, like really that sort of manifested then in so it's seen as like created by teens who were influenced by monster movies at 50s, so like the mummy. Yeah. Um and it's been credited with discouraging teens from using this road as a lover's lane, but also that people have periodically like pranked each other by wrapping up in bandages and jumping out at woods. Which is all good fun. Um, but I did find, and this is the last sort of iteration of this urban legend, but there is the less popular Hook Woman story, which was reported in a paper I found from Ellis um, from 94, which is that this white witch legend emerged around the same time as a sort of spike in the Hookman stories from 1958 to 1964. And it's similar in terms of she's still this stern sort of moral custodian who's disrupting these you know cheeky lovers mm-hmm. in lovers lanes but she's explicitly supernatural whereas when it's a man is very much a mm-hmm. you know a serial killer yeah, um, or a yeah. murderer um so she targets teens with hatchets a steel hand or hook or diamond tipped fingernails that allow her to break through the windshield um, so she's similar really to like Bloody Mary or the witch in the mirror, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, I think they're very interesting. And I think, you know, the- I get this is so interesting. Yeah. It, it really um, goes back to what we were talking about last week about, you know, the, the you know, you, you just mentioned that, you know, when it's men in those urban legends, there's very much a, a killer, like a, you know, mm. you know blooded, you know, cold blooded killer, yeah. um, and warm blooded killer. Sorry, rather. <laughs> and the, but that's when he, when he, um, you know, when when he, sorry, when the the footlore is around a woman, mm. it's more supernatural, right? It's it's yeah. more it's most the, about the romantic the romanticization of, you know, of, of women as you know as as those creatures rather than. I don't know. It's very interesting. There's mm. definitely something to, um, yeah, to you know, to explore. You yeah, know, to explore in this, like, why? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really think so because I suppose it comes back to that idea about, um, you know, like in in sort of Japanese folklore and urban legend about women yeah. who only really become powerful when they're dead. So then the ghosts and the, yes, they've got exactly. all the power they didn't have in life. And and I suppose if we think about when these legends were most popular in like late 50s, early 60s, you know, for the idea that a woman would be capable of killing is, is uh-huh. seen as like unimaginable. But if she's a witch... You know, then yes, exactly. Oh, she's a ghost. Then all of a sudden, or, she's allowed this power. Yeah. Whereas for men, it's like not impossible to imagine like a violent. No, exactly. Yeah. It's like women have to transcend life in order to transcend their, you yeah. know, their, you know, their assigned gender roles, right? So yeah, it's Absolutely. really it's fascinating. It's really interesting, and I think you know, it's it's positioned quite often as like this is meant to disrupt young people's sexual experimentation, and that this maniac with his hook for a hand mm-hmm. is like you know, this moral custodian who's disrupting that. And it is effective in that way. I suppose it highlights the dangers of, you know, dark nights in secluded locations. And I think particularly after the Texarkana um, unsolved murders, which were were very widely publicised, I suppose you can understand how that fear sort of spread to other towns and other places. But actually someone uh, in that same paper from Ellis, they interviewed some students. They asked them to tell them the story, what did you hear? Uh, And spoke to one woman who said that it, the morality element of it sort of combined, it were like made it like a thrill. It were like this illicit sort of thrill attached mm-hmm. to it. So it doesn't necessarily seek to alter that behaviour, but it seems to be like a way that young people can 
sort of interact with these social taboos in a way. Like they can either violate it and risk the hook-handed man or they can respect it and be like, oh, I'm, I'm not at risk or somehow sort of compromise with it. And like these stories like inspire fear first and then a curiosity and then you can decide, yeah. that, am I going to break this taboo or am I going to be good and I'm, I'm not going to uh-huh. risk hook-hand man or, you know, it's... <laughs> I think they are really interesting, the, the sort of purposes that they serve. The fact that I heard that story as a as a child, like a, te- young, a young kid, sort of early teens probably. Um, so it does endure even though it's not as popular, obviously, because no one listens to radio, mm-hmm. so you'd have no idea no, that they were in a skate yeah, yeah. No one knows. No one knows about the... You're still out there, <laughs> but, you know, no one cares anymore. You'd be like, oh, so what's that? <laughs> and also, if there were a banging on the roof, I'm not getting out to look where it is. I don't. I don't want exactly, to know. Yeah. Thank you. No. Just driving away. <laughs> it's like when people knock on door and I'm not expecting them. Don't bother. I'm not no, answering. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but what have we got recommendations then, Clearly, What would we recommend to people if they liked or didn't That's like so... sleepaway camp? <laughs> Yeah, if you like, whether you like it or not, basically. Um, I've got uh, very diverse um, <laughs> recommendations. Uh, one, The first one is a comedy, actually. Um, if you haven't seen it, Wet Hot American Summer on Netflix. Um, oh, yes. Is, uh, which, is, which is pretty much a spoof of Sleepaway Camp and was, you know, admittedly um, inspired by, by this and any other um, camp horror. So uh, it made me giggle um, <laughs> remembering this. So um, second Second, on second place, I would um, um, recommend Carrie, obviously, you know, about a very repressed yes. character and how that leads to violence. Uh, <laughs> I mentioned it earlier in the episode, um, Insidious 2, uh, as I said, which focused on the backstory of a you know, minor character in the first film. The Bride in Black, but actually, I think it, it would be really for people who you know who weren't convinced by Sleepaway Camp. I would say you know compare it to a more contemporary example mm. of it, and you know I, I you know I think it is well worth putting those two films you know next to each other, and you know contextualizing. You know, the sleepaway camp was in 1983. Mm-hmm. Insidious was, I don't know, like in the, you know 2010, whatever. Um, yeah. And you know that that yeah that um, you know they say two very different things, and I think mm-hmm. that that that's really interesting. Um, the the documentary uh, that I mentioned at the beginning as well at the waterfront after the social uh, is available on YouTube. Uh, and if you love sleepaway camp, then definitely uh, definitely watch it because it's got some like great little nuggets. Um, and and the, my last um, recommendation, which might be a bit weird, is but I rewatched it last week. Is Creep? Oh yeah, <laughs> so, which might, <laughs> which might seem like an odd one, but I thought you know what you know character pretends to be something that you know t- something they're not with uh, you know with with terrible consequences. Yeah. I thought it would be, uh, you know, and this sense of you know awkwardness, easiness that run throughout the, you know, throughout the whole film is very much on par with Sleepaway Camp. I thought, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mine. love Creep, yeah, and I liked Creep oh my too God, as yes. well. I really love it, but it's oh, so, so uncomfortable. Yeah. I, oh, it's like bum so clenching. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Well, I did say. What about you? Um, I did say the Sleepaway Camp sequels, but I've never seen them, so I can't attest to how good they oh, are. Oh no. <laughs> no. Um, but then I thought if people were interested in... Uh, so I've leaned more into the urban legend representation. So I've got The Town mm. That Dreaded Sundown, which there's a film from, I think, 56, and there's a remake, a more contemporary sort of art sequel, mm-hmm. I'm not sure, um, that that sort of explores the, the social impact of the murders. 
And then I also had Urban Legend because any opportunity I get to talk about that film, I will take Of course, take it. absolutely. Oh my God, it is one of my favourite <laughs> films. I love it so much. Oh, it's favourite. And then also sticking with the hook theme, I've got Candyman, both iterations. Yes, great. Um... So yeah, they they were mine, leaning more away from the film, <laughs> leaning into the, <laughs> the urban legends, away from camp and more into urban legends. Yes. But yeah, no, I think that's yeah, that's that that's excellent, definitely. Yes. I, did, I obviously thought of um, you know, did wonder how much that urban legend actually influenced um, you know, a Candyman both iterations. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah. Very, yeah, well, and yeah, that's really the great. thing. I mean, Helen Lyle, that's what she does, isn't it? She's like a yes, contemporary exactly. folklorist. So my career inspiration. <laughs> Obviously, without the ending, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stick around to find out more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so well, thank you everybody for listening, and we'll we'll be back next thank week. Thank you so much. With another, we'll uh, be back next week with summer more. camp slasher. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Monsters Fresh Summer Camp. Please join us next time as we continue our summer of screams. You can find out more about us via our website, monstrousfresh.co.uk, where you can find out more about our research for each episode, buy our wonderful merch and see our upcoming events. We'd love to hear from you, either via email or social media channels. Also, please, please rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts and help us spread our spooky word by telling your friends about Monsters Fresh. And until next time... Creepy weird, everyone.